Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Morning, and Sarah. Hello, Rebecca. How are you on this beautiful day? I'm sitting in a sunbeam, basking in the glow of your friendship and the spring morning. That is perfect for this episode. There's a little Easter egg in it for all cat lovers. Uh, <laughs> your, your cat ears will immediately perk up um, because you can hear the cat in the background, like walking around and just making themselves known. Useful. <laughs> might even be a little dingle involved. <laughs> so see how many times that you can figure out that the cat made an appearance. And to that end, what is this episode? episode? <laughs> yeah, what is this episode, Sarah? It's all about cat noises. No, just kidding. It's the part two of the McWatt Fellowship introduction to the awesome people that we are working with. Yeah, catch us and up. What is that McWatt Fellowship again? The McWatt Fellowship is a partnership grant that we received uh, through the Legacy Funds with Ramsey Hennepin. Dakota and ourselves, as far as the county historical societies go, we hired a selection of fellows uh, to study African-American stories and create a project at the end. Uh, so we had only intended to have one. So you might have recalled Ben Mackay's podcast a couple weeks ago, but when we met Adem, I remember calling you up and saying, oh my gosh, they're so cool. We just need to find a space for them. And I don't have time to do this, but oh, I just love a damn. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So there were so many great opportunities that we could do. And suddenly one fellow turned into two fellows. And it really became a perfect project for a who has African immigrant roots and we have some African immigrant women that are on some of our committees and act as some really close friends of ours. So to connect the two groups and do some oral history recordings, get some native language translations, and Adem will tell you all about it because they're much better at describing their project than myself. So let's jump onward. right in. <laughs> Hey, Adem, how are you? Thank you for joining us today. I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for inviting me to come speak with you. Oh, every moment I get to talk to you is fun. You have such a wonderful brain and I love being in your space. I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about what actually brought you to this point in life. I've always been a really curious person. Growing up in the U.S. and having my family not living here with us, there were different aspects of my own culture that I've always been a little more curious about, given I'm a bit more removed from my family than I'd like to be. That snowballed into me wanting to learn more about my own culture, as well as different cultures throughout the world. In my undergrad, I actually studied anthropology at Hamlin University, and I think that really solidified my desire to connect and learn from other people. With this specific moment in my life, working um, at Anoka County Historical Society with the McWatt Fellowship, I feel like it's the culmination of 
these different skills and life experiences I've had that have led me to want to use those skills to be able to help other folks tell their stories. And I'm really interested right now in helping other Black immigrants tell their stories. Oh, that's fantastic. Have you ever been back to see your family in Africa? Yes, I was able to go back to Ethiopia back in, I think it was 2015. I went with my little brother and my father and we were able to go see well, I was able to meet my mother's side of the family for the first time, which was uh, really special. I was able to meet both my grandparents, my remaining grandparents, before they both passed away within this past uh, two years. So it was a really powerful moment. And for me, further solidified the desire to want to preserve our histories, but from our own standpoints. I find that a lot of the recorded or written histories that my own tribe, where I'm a Nuak, um, the things that we do have recorded, although limited, they tend to be from, what's the word, missionaries. A lot of videos that I find are from missionaries. A lot of the translations are done by uh, Christian missionaries. And so to be able to have just stories or songs or folk tales recorded or written down in our own languages or our own words, audio, I think is something really profound. Because when I went back home, I didn't necessarily encounter things like that. And while I have that desire to foster that kind of hmm, community or that kind of work here in the US, I also wanna foster it back home um, to ensure that we're preserving things here in the US, yes, as first generations, but also um, for folks to be able to preserve things firsthand um, back in Ethiopia and South Sudan as well. You know, it really strikes me that the language is the first thing to be lost in an immigrant situation. And, you know, we know a few other people in Anoka County that have a, a similar story to yours. And, you know, they speak about not being able to communicate with their family back home because they're literally forgetting the language that they grew up with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I It's pretty difficult. And I find myself lucky because I have well, I'm one of seven siblings. And so there are a lot of different siblings I have who have different levels of fluency, I guess, with our own language. And so I would say that out of all of my siblings, or as you go down the line, I guess, I'm one of the last ones who was able to hold a conversation and respond in our language. And it's hard because you know, folks come here to get better opportunities for their families. And so my parents were off at work. Um, we would be going off to school. And it kind of felt like while we were trying to make ends meet and trying to process being in a new place, process what that looks like raising your children in a new place with a different culture and different language, there are some things that do end up 
um, falling by the wayside. And especially in the US, and I guess I'll speak specifically to Minnesota where English is everywhere. <laughs> and I'll say it's gotten better uh, since I have grown up. There are different translations into different languages, but uh, for example, when I was younger, my elementary school had listed my at-home language as Yoruba, even though I'm I, I'm not West African, I, I don't speak Yoruba at all. Um, so I guess I say that to say the understanding of the different dialects and languages that children are speaking at home has widened and increased. But when I was growing up, um, the main priority wasn't really preserving students' languages. It was more so trying to get kids caught up with English and making sure they were able to speak English and, you know, stay stay afloat with the other students. Which makes sense, you know, in order to be a part of our American society. But yeah, there's there's so much that's lost and the, the miscommunication of your identity of, you know, like which language you actually spoke at home being so wrong. I can imagine that was really hurtful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it felt minimizing and uh, kind of reinforced the idea that it was just a detail, um, that it wasn't something that was necessarily important or, or a key data point that they actually used. With that in mind, how can we use the McWatt Fellowship and your time with the History Center to change some of that? I'm hoping to use my time with the McWatt Fellowship to help shed a light on the vast diversity of Black immigrants that we have within Minnesota and specifically here in Anoka County. Um, I would like for folks to take curiosity in learning about their neighbors and the folks that have been immigrating here for the past few decades and understanding, I guess, it's difficult to understand the situation you have never encountered, but maybe be sympathetic to the journeys that folks have taken to get here and kind of seeing folks for their whole selves rather than at face value or what they perceive them to be. Has that evolved since you first applied to the project? Yes, I, I feel like when I first applied to the project, I was really excited. I didn't necessarily have concrete ideas uh, as far as what it was I wanted to do. I was really interested in the different uh, examples of projects that had been listed. One of the ones was looking through census records to um, look at Black pioneers and get to know their stories and understand what it was they were doing here, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of snowballed into thinking about those ideas and that frame of thinking, but in the present day and with Black immigrants and perhaps thinking through the parallels of both of those experiences, which then snowballed further into thinking about the different ways that folks can participate in this project. Um, being that I am speaking specifically with Black immigrants, I don't want anyone to feel pressured, one, to participate, or two, feel as though need, they need to 
give any kind of information or share any bits of their story they don't feel comfortable with. And so through that and speaking with some community partners, we came up with the idea of perhaps having folks send in photos of foods or cultural items or having us here at the museum take photos of those different cultural items and being able to participate that way. And so while I didn't have a clear idea of what it was I wanted to do when I initially started, it feels as though it's blossomed into this, I don't want to say cobweb because that kind of has negative connotations. <laughs> in my mind, it's just all of these different, different touch points that are branching out. And so it feels like a big patchwork quilt, I guess I'll say, of different people I've been meeting who have had a larger role in this project as far as connecting me with different people, as far as they themselves um, participating in interviews and things of that nature, as well as folks who I may not have the opportunity to meet, but are willing to share cultural objects with me so that I can photograph them. Um, it's shifted a lot, but it feels like it's been shifting in the interests of the people that I've been wanting to work with in the first place. And one of my goals with this project has been to be very fluid and to really let the folks in the community that I've been working with know that I'm eternally grateful for them even agreeing to speak with me and that their story and the act of sharing their story isn't something that I take lightly. And so if I can mold this project into whatever it needs to be so that the people I'm working with feel comfortable, seen, feel proud, um, I absolutely want to do that. I think you're on the right track with the idea of letting the people in the community dictate what they need. You know, it's it's difficult for the History Center to walk in and say, we know best because we don't, you know, and, and so to let this happen organically and let the, the communities themselves decide what part of their history to share and what part of their legacy needs to be preserved and then follow that lead. I think that's a crucial point. Yeah, and I feel as though it, I'm hoping it will help strengthen these relationships as well with the community between the community and the museum. This project feels, when I do different projects like these, one of the words that always comes to mind is humility and just being able to come to the folks in the community and be as humble as you can. And in acknowledging that we as an individual or institution don't have any kind of upper hand over you we are on the same team and we're on the same level and um I have you to thank Rebecca for laying the foundation and having those really strong connections with these few women that I began speaking with because I feel like that helped with the relationship building process because they trust you and through trusting you they trusted me to open up to me, to speak with me, to even meet with me. 
Um, so I also wanted to thank you for that. Aw, I'll take that. You just made me kind of tear up there, which <laughs> for the record isn't hard to do, but thank you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> uh, there's so much about our job, this relationship building and getting to know people in the community. And sometimes it feels like we're not getting very far in the process. And then all of a sudden a project like this comes along and it's like, boom, everything starts happening at once. And it's, it's very rewarding to know that the seeds that were planted along the way years ago are, are doing something and you're watching all the tulips grow now. It's yeah, they're really blossoming. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. What is the, speaking of magic and blossoming and, you know, what, what happens when we record interviews in a tribal language and then translate them into English? What's the, the beauty that happens there? I think there's a certain beauty to, well, I guess languages that are not English and the ability that folks are able to have the ability folks have to express themselves. I'll say with my own experience and with my own family, for example, like my parents, when I'm communicating with my parents in English, while I'm still able to get my points across, um, their personalities don't necessarily come out in the same ways. It makes me think of jokes when folks say that they love to curse in their own native language because they're able to really get colorful with it. Um, <laughs> and so I, I'm hoping that through recording some of these interviews in folks' native dialects, one, they feel more comfortable just speaking. It can be kind of nerve wracking being in a position where all cameras are on you. There are some fancy lights and things like that. And so hopefully, through being able to speak through their native language, I'm able to take some kind of pressure off. I'm also hoping that through capturing and preserving folks' native languages, this is able to increase accessibility with the exhibit and also pique curiosity in community members. I don't think I've ever encountered my own language in a museum before, spoken, uh, written, or anything of that nature. And so to be able to preserve it at that level, and specifically as an institution, to show communities that your history, your dialects, and everything about you is important to us, and we want to share it, and we want to preserve it just as much as we want to preserve German, you know, Norwegian or Swedish heritages to be able to, I guess, bring different Black dialects to that same level of not notoriety, but when I think of Minnesota and I think of immigration, my mind tends to go, you know, German, um, Norwegian, I would like for folks to also think, oh, Somalia, South Sudan, oh, Liberia, you know? And so I'm hoping that maybe through this exhibit and showing 
the different multifaceted aspects of people, not just their stories, but also their languages, also the things they use, their holidays, how they celebrate um, to help cement Black immigrants as a foundational part of Minnesota and its history. I really am so excited for, you know, especially an online exhibit where we can link in the oral histories, you know, into an audio component, but also the physical exhibit, you know, if we can find some physical objects that people are willing to loan to us temporarily for the community to come see. Um, I think it's going to have quite an impact on a, a viewer. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I'm hoping that these are things that folks may have never seen before. <laughs> um, I can't think, I, I'd imagine you may encounter some of these foods or objects or even languages if you have friends who um, are immigrants, but if they may have not immigrated from whatever specific country the participant has immigrated from and with the Black diaspora being so diverse and so widespread, I'm really hoping that everyone that is able to encounter or interact with the exhibit, be it online or in person, is able to learn something new. I think there's going to be uh, a little bit of buzz around this project, at the, you know, towards June when we get things up and rolling for the public to see. And I'm really excited to see what we, what we come up with for that reaction. Me too. And I don't know, y'all may not be able to get rid of me because I feel these ideas just continuing to bloom. And so maybe here for the next year or so, you just can't kick me out. <laughs> I would absolutely love that. I truly would. And uh, it's something that we would be actively looking for some sponsors to keep you on, I think, at this point. So uh, that would be my ask out to the public is that if this feels like a project that excites you and something that you know you'd love to see more of and preserve different aspects of Anoka County in that native language um, you know help us out keep a dem around how else can our listeners help a dem hmm. it sounds so much easier I guess said than done but by talking to people I would really like for folks to you know I think the pandemic as well has hindered some of our social abilities or has just kind of made things clumsy and awkward, but really just connecting with one another and getting to know your neighbors, even if it's just a hello in the morning or just understanding their name. I'll say from my, from my own experience, um, here in Minnesota, it feels like out on the streets or just walking around, we kind of give one another the cold shoulder. <laughs> and um, back home or really in other states, it's not necessarily like that. And so it can feed into just different feelings of isolation. And so, you know, if you see someone on the sidewalk, say hi. <laughs> just yeah. things like that, that I think are able to contribute to a larger sense of belonging for folks, immigrants or not. I think what you said about the name, you know, and being able to pronounce each other's names or taking the time to mm. understand what the name means, 
Mm-hmm. I think that really struck me from what you just said. Yeah. I, I really believe that getting to know and understand someone's name is the first step to getting to know and understand them. And actually for a few years, I, a few years, most of my life, I allowed <laughs> folks to mispronounce my name just because it felt easier. Um, it felt like a never ending battle, honestly. I, I still remember even now the way that my parents, my dad would, you know, kind of poke fun and be like, who's that? That's not you. That's, that's, who's that? <laughs> and mm. now kind of trying to reclaim that and use that as, you know, my initial boundary of respect in that way. Um, and while it may seem very small to other folks or folks who have names that are very easy to pronounce, it, it means the world and it is also a clear indicator that you care enough about that individual as a person enough to slow down and understand how to pronounce their name. Because unfortunately, most folks don't. I think you hit another one on the head with the slow down. Mm. I, we get so busy clicking through our day that the five minutes matters. And that's, that's kind of sad to me. Because when we do slow down, those five minutes mean the world. <laughs> and, you know, it may be all it takes in that initial encounter to help set that foundation between you and that individual. Well, you heard it here, folks. You got your marching orders. <laughs> say, say hi to people on the sidewalk. Take five minutes to learn how to pronounce each other's names and uh, find those, those roses along the way to smell, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Especially now that, you know, they're actually coming and winter's over. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we have some grocery store tulips on the dining room table right now because the other ones aren't quite through the ground. <laughs> It's <laughs> Adem, this has been so much fun talking with you and really enlightening in a, a number of ways for me. So I appreciate your time coming and recording this podcast with us. Thank you, Rebecca. Always a pleasure. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello, listeners. My name is Diana Nurberg, and I'm an adult services librarian for Anoka County Library. I'm here with your Library Minute, resources to continue your exploration of this episode's topics. First book we have is called America is Immigrants by Sarah Novich. In this book, the author demonstrates that the very fabric of our country is woven with strands from all over the world. Using names both familiar and unfamiliar, the author breaks down how the country was formed and continues to be shaped by immigrants in the categories of pioneers, builders, creators, movers, explorers, and more. Next, we have Little America, Incredible True Stories of Immigrants in America, with an introduction by Kumail Nanjiani. This book is a collection of first-hand accounts of American immigration. The beginning of the book plots out the stories on a map of the U.S., and each individual story begins with their name and the country from which they emigrated, paired with the state in which they now reside. Many of the stories relate their experiences adjusting to new cultural norms, as well as how each person maintained and honored the customs of their home countries. Next, we have Liana by Aaron Kopp. Described as genre-defying, this documentary film blends fiction, storytelling, and animation, 
with the real-life stories of its subjects, five children from an African country who turn their past traumas into an original story about a girl named Liana who goes on a dangerous journey. Next, we have Parenting with an Accent, how immigrants honor their heritage, navigate setbacks, and chart new paths for their children by Masha Rumer. This book combines personal narrative with research to examine what it's really like to parent children in the U.S. Straddling assimilation and honoring their home cultures, the parents the author interviews struggle with their new realities. The book combines interviews with expert knowledge, on-the-ground reporting, and even some humor. Finally, I want to tell you about our Ojibwe and Dakota curriculum resource kits. This episode highlights the importance of preservation of native languages. Native languages of the upper Midwest, Ojibwe and Dakota, are also threatened. With these curriculum kits containing flashcards, books, music CDs, games, puzzles, and more, these languages can be preserved. Check them out at the Northtown and Rum River Libraries. We hope you find these resources useful and enjoyable. Until next time, happy learning. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. I loved listening to Adem and their voice being so excited about this project. I could listen to them all day. Buttery soft, I think, is the word you're looking for. Some people just have good voices. <laughs> Present company possibly excluded. <laughs> Me. Don't like my voice, Rebecca. This is new information. Me. Okay. <laughs> and we'll edit that part out. <laughs> and quick segue to what's this exhibit that you guys were teasing? We have a really unique part of the exhibit hall that has some half walls on it. So it feels very enclosed when you're in that section of the exhibit. So Adem and I were thinking that perhaps that would be a really good space to put some personal artifacts from the African women that they're going to be talking to in this project to represent their past culture, to represent what they've been through in the immigration process, the language changes. Um, maybe, you know, I know that I have a, a newer English dictionary, you know, that perhaps putting a book like that out would be interesting for people to look through. Um, some profiles of the women that are involved in the project some photos, maybe some family photos from back home. So the content of the exhibit is a little up in the air, but we would love contributions from people who have emigrated to the United States to tell their story, not just for this exhibit, but we'd like to keep that particular space as a cultural showcase space so that we can better tell the stories of the Anoka County residents. The items that people choose to bring with them on long journeys Holds so much significance. And it's amazing having people wanting to share those pieces of their personal history with us. It is going to be very exciting. And I am so looking forward to it. It'll definitely be up by June. So, Anoka Riverfest, anyone who's coming through for the craft fair, you can stop in and see Federal and our cultural exhibit. We have a lot of exhibit building to do. We do. So we'd better stop chit-chatting and get to that. <laughs> Fine. Get to work, Sarah. <laughs> See y'all next time. Bye. If you have a question 
Want to visit our show notes page for each episode or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future. <laughs>